Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I know I can lead men. I know I know the game of football and I'm passionate about it. I spent 14 years in a locker room. I went to the playoffs 12 times. I got five dudes in the Hall of Fame that I play with. You don't think I've seen greatness? All right, welcome back. 1% Better, the upper quartile of the top quartile podcast. We need to change the name. Frank Reich's out. Um, this is Zach Kiefer, joined by James Boyd. Week three of the Colts coaching search. It never ends. We're inching towards conference championships games. We are inching towards a resolution. I imagine next week or the week after, the Colts will have a new head coach. James, are you as exhausted as I am? Yes, it has been a lot. And I think that it's fun to dissect these things, to dive into these things, to look into every coach's background. But no joke, when the first wave of candidates came out, broke down all those, the second wave comes and I bring down all those and it's like, I want to be informed. Obviously I want to learn about these guys and their backgrounds, but it's also exhausting to like, look it all up and to figure out, okay, how has this person been tied to Chris Ballard or Jim Ursay or the franchise or whose relationships overlap with whose. And so, yeah, it's been a lot, Zach. And I think for me, it's just been eye opening how, the entire process works on the NFL side as far as announcing your interviews with different teams. And I never heard the term black Monday before until, you know, <laughs> chap tweeted it. I'm like, Oh, that kind of makes sense. Cause everyone's getting fired and everyone kind of knows on this Monday is when the coaching searches start. So it's definitely been a whirlwind. And I'm sure on your side as well, just trying to keep up with everything. And also like trying to respectfully answer fans who are so, you know, curious about every single thing and every single person so you know you want to be fair in what you report and not too hasty and I think that a lot of it comes with being patient and being smart and a lot of it isn't you know fun in that regard (laughs) yeah here's where we're at I've never covered a coaching search quite like this one this is just wild um Colts initially had 14 candidates they wanted to sit down with. They sat down with 13, the one being D'Amico Ryans, who was going to meet with them on Saturday before the NFC Championship game, canceled, wanted more time to prepare for the game. Understandable decision. That throws a wrench into the Colts' plans because it's my understanding that they're still interested in D'Amico. But because they haven't interviewed him yet, they have to wait until the 49ers' season is over, which means if the 49ers win on Sunday in Philadelphia – That can't happen until February 13th, which really throws a wrench in your plans because obviously you have a coach in place before then. But if you still want to sit down with D'Amico Ryans, that's the first interview for him. You've got other interviews for other coaches. It's just messy right now. But here's where the Colts are at, and and this is the the situation they put themselves in. They've got four finalists so far. I expect that number to jump up a couple more the next week. They can't talk to Shane Steichen, Brian Callahan, or Eric Bieniemy this week because those guys are coaching Sunday in the conference title games. But so far, the known finalists, Jeff Saturday, 
We'll get into Jeff in a minute. Ejiro Evero, the Broncos DC. Raheem Morris, who had a good interview the first time. The Rams DC. And Wink Martindale, the Giants DC. So a very defensive flavor so far. I expect that to change after the conference final games on Sunday because the Colts can't talk to those guys until Monday and Tuesday. You know, some of those guys, their seasons will be over. Some of them will probably be getting ready for the Super Bowl. But when Chris Ballard said he wasn't going to take this quickly and he wasn't going to, this could be a mid-February thing, he wasn't kidding, man. It's January 27th. One team has a coach, Carolina Panthers. Congrats to Frank Reich. He's the first coach to get hired in this cycle. But usually you see a domino effect after one guy goes. This could stretch into next week or maybe the week after because I don't feel like the close are the Colts, excuse me, are really close as we sit here right now. Yeah, and I think in regard to D'Amico Ryan's, just to clarify what you said, he can't talk to them because he hasn't done the first interview, right? He hasn't done the first interview. That's that's the issue here. If he had done the first interview, he could do a second interview, whether the 49ers won or lost. But that's the situation. I think because of that, it puts the Colts in a weird position because obviously D'Amico Ryan's is one of the more might be the hottest candidate as far as uh, up and coming guys go. You know, guys who haven't had the chance to be in the you know head coach seat or haven't been coordinators very long, but he's still very widely respected. J.J. Watt spoke highly of him on Twitter, and from everyone that I've heard or read about, they love this guy. And so for the Colts, it's like you want to get a guy in place, obviously sooner rather than later. But you want to get the right guy, and does that mean you take yourself out of the D'Amico Ryan's running completely? Or do you wait to get that first initial interview after you've already talked to you know other guys at least twice at that point? That's the weird part about it. It's like you don't want to wait up forever and then other guys get snatched up. But you also don't want to eliminate yourself one of the best candidates. It comes down to... How badly do the Colts want D'Amico Ryans based on the homework that they've done? And they've done their homework. And how badly does he want the Colts? Because it seems to me that if he wanted to sit down with the Colts, he would have done that last week. Now, the Colts have been busy, and he had an NFC divisional round to get ready for. But the reality is, you, you could have squeezed in a meeting on Friday night after the prep is done or Saturday. But I understand that he's a very in-demand guy, and the timing didn't work out. But there's no doubt about this that Denver has a leg up in this search when it comes to D'Amico Ryans because they've already sat down Houston with as well. The Colts haven't. The Colts haven't, and that's the reality. And, and how badly do the Colts want to wait? How confidently do they feel with another candidate? These are very real things, and this is an issue that's come up, and it's just the reality. And it's fascinating because, like you said, it's, it's one thing if he's just a meh candidate, but he's among the hottest candidates left. Dan Quinn has pulled out of jobs. He's going to stay in Dallas and, and you can make a very, very strong case for D'Amico Ryans to be the, Col the Colts coach or anybody's coach with a vacancy right now. So there's no doubt about it. Other teams have a leg up in that race. But, James, there's a petition in Indianapolis right now as we pivot to the name that everybody can't stop talking about. That's Jeff Saturday. He had his second interview this week. He no doubt pitched his potential staff to Jim Irsay, to Chris Ballard, to whoever was in the interview. No doubt pitched his vision. The petition in Indianapolis among Colts fans, last time I checked, it was like above 2,000 signatures, was don't hire this guy. It seems like this movement is gaining steam every minute that passes. Because he earned a second interview, does that mean he's in play for this job full time? Absolutely. But he's been in play since the night he was hired. 
Right. Jim Rose right. said it the night he was hired. Like he said he hopes it's a long term thing. For eight games and I hope it's exactly. More. And so it doesn't surprise me. I think the biggest frustration among fans, especially when we report stuff or we work on stories and, and send stuff out, is that they want us to definitively say, at least a good majority of them, that he's not a candidate. He's not gonna get hired. He has no chance. And that's just not true. He has a chance because of his relationship. Who owns the team? Jim Mercer. Who owns the team? That ain't changing. Zach, who hired him the first time? Jim Mercer. And so I think that's the frustrating part is like, we know one of these things is not like the other, but that's twofold. Like his experience and all that stuff is not like any other candidate. And the fact that other candidates were not moved on to the second round and he was is ridiculous. Let's be honest about that. I, I don't know how I'll feel as a candidate if I didn't get a second interview for the Colts job over Jeff Saturday. Like that's, that's something that I, I would, I would never point. forget and probably point. never forgive, honestly. After working for 10 to 15 years, as exactly coach grinding, working your way up, but then making players, better. one of these things is not like the other, meaning his relationship with the owner is not like any other candidate. Like Jim Ursay's love for this guy, his relationship with him as a player. And over the years that, gives him a leg up and I know it frustrates people, but that's reality. That's life. It's not fair. And so we'll see, but I do think he has a shot at the job, but I will caution a lot of fans and listeners out there to remember that this is a long process. Chris Ballard is leading it. And again, like we've been saying over and over, he is not going to get recommended by Ballard. I do not see that happening at all. And if it comes down to it, this will be a Jim Irsay call as Chris Ballard said, so again, like this is nothing new. I just think that with each day that passes and there's no, and you can't say he's not going to be the coach, people get more and more frustrated. And so I will say the petition thing is kind of crazy. I never thought that that would actually happen. Um, I saw some, you know, hashtags and, you know, a couple of our followers changing their name to this person. So whenever, whenever they mention us, I'm reading their headline and it's something along the lines of we don't want this guy. But a petition is kind of crazy. Like I've I've never seen that for any coach. Uh, I'm sure it's probably happened before, maybe, but I just can't remember. At least in my short lifetime and short time as a sports reporter, that there was a petition to not, you know, hire a coach. That that doesn't happen often. Well, you don't hire a coach off an ESPN set very often either. <laughs> Here's a couple true. things that that I think on this, um, and I wrote this this week. Like in a lot of cities, a petition to not hire a coach or a hashtag wouldn't matter at all. I think it matters a little bit here. And I'm not saying that's going to influence Jim Mercer's ultimate decision. It's it's not. He's going to pick the best coach he feels for the future of this franchise. But Ursay sees that. Absolutely. Ursay sees absolutely. that. There's been two instances in the past where that absolutely played a very small role in a decision for this team. A couple of years ago, there was a very strong movement to bring T.Y. Hilton back. Ursay acknowledged it, and Ursay pushed that deal over the finish line, calling T.Y. personally. Years and years ago, 2015, there was a strong movement to get Chuck Pagano to stay. They wanted him back, and it was very loud the last day of the season. They won that game, and Chuck was given an extension the next day. Now, these are not things that happened because of tweets. Don't misunderstand me, but all I'm saying is that while it wouldn't matter in most cities— it matters a little bit here. Ursay sees that, and he very much cares what his fan base thinks. I guarantee you he at least knows where the fan base stands on Jeff Saturday. But I'm not going to change my stance on this, James, and here's what I'm going to say. And this is 
one thing, I don't think Ursay is leaking anything right now, and I don't think Ballard's leaking anything right now. So consider where this news is coming from, whatever news you're hearing about Jeff Saturday being a candidate. We've been saying from the very beginning, as long as Jim Ursay owns this team, Jeff Saturday is a candidate for this job. It didn't matter that he went 1-7. and seven. didn't matter that he was a negative 87-point differential. didn't matter that they gave up the biggest fourth-quarter meltdown in NFL history, the biggest collapse in NFL history. He was going to be a candidate. And Jeff's great in a room. Jeff's a great talker. Jeff, I'm assuming, went in there and sold his vision. The difference being other coaches can go in there and sell results. That's the difference. But here's where I stand on this. And, and if I'm wrong, I'll eat this. Like you said, Chris is not going to recommend Jeff. Chris is a GM that's fighting to keep his job. That's going to make two monumental decisions in the next four months that will shape the future of this franchise for better or for worse. He's going to hire a head coach and he's going to draft a quarterback. If he screws those things up, he's gone. We all know that. He's going to bank the remainder of his tenure in this city, which he's put a lot into, on Jeff Saturday? On an unproven coach who he didn't want in the first place? No, he's not. So you're right on that, at least in my opinion. And then secondly, I don't care what's being reported out there. I'm just going on what I know from my conversations with Jim Irsay, and I've had a lot of conversations with this man over the years. I do not think he will overstep his GM and hire a coach that Chris doesn't want. Now, can it happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything can happen. We covered the Colts in 2022. Literally, that's the banner <laughs> headline. Anything can effing happen. But Ursay really doesn't like the idea that he meddles, even though he has this year. He doesn't like that we reported on that. And he doesn't like the idea that he's overstepping his bounds. He likes the idea that people think that he lets his GM run the team. Now, that's not been the case over the last 12 months. But the reality is, I think he's going to let Chris pick the coach because you can't force a GM to work with a coach that he didn't pick. That's just terrible football. That's terrible management. And that's going to doom this franchise, I think, for the foreseeable future. I keep going back to that. It makes too much sense for Ursay not to do that. But again, he's a wild card, and I'm not going to guarantee anything. But over the last couple of days, has your opinion swayed a little bit or changed a little bit because Jeff was the first one to get a second interview? No, I, I still think that what was reported when Ballard talked to us about how he wasn't, you know, he expressed his concerns about Jeff Saturday. Those things still remain the same. So, again, that answer was so obvious. Yes. I, it, I mean, in translation, it was, no, I did not recommend him. That was crazy. That was stupid. That's what that was. Kind of like what everybody else was saying. Yeah, he just couldn't say it because that's his job. And and I'll say, I'll add this. Talking about banking on his future with Jeff Saturday, which, again, I don't think he would ever do. I think this is a definitive moment in Ballard's tenure where he can say, this is what I want to do. And if it doesn't happen, if, if Jeff Saturday is hired over someone he recommends, he kind of gets absolved. I'm not saying it's going to feel good, but everyone will understand like, oh, OK, you're really not being allowed to do your job for the fourth consecutive. major. Exactly. Decision. You know what people have told me and I'll let you finish in a second, but people around the league have and I've thrown this theory out to them. What if Saturday is hired over Chris's head and people have said, well, would he just walk away? Would Chris just walk away after the draft? Would he walk away after the hire? Like, if you're a GM, whether he's the right man for the job or not, that's not for debate because he's going to be here for the next year. You should be hired to do your job. You should be allowed to do your job. Yes, and that's the most concerning thing. That's the bigger takeaway from all of this, let alone 
hiring a coach with no you know experience and then going out and drafting a, a quarterback, it's like, can I do my job? And if you can't do your job, why keep the job? And whether he walks away or not, it, basically you don't have to walk away. You don't have any legs to walk away on because they've been taken from you to do your job. And so that's the biggest thing that's kind of hovering over the inevitable coach decision and then the decisions that follow. So we'll see. It should be pretty exciting. Talked about it before we hopped on the pod, actually heading to the senior bowl on Monday or at least senior bowl week. And so I don't think they're going to have a head coach hired by then. It'll be interesting to see who's down there, how they go about that process. I'm staying here. I'm not, I'm not allowed to leave. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> so you have fun with that. Um, you know, I'll be down there in Alabama, living it up, you know, nice weather and things like that. But in all seriousness, it will be interesting to see, you know, I'm sure there teams have done it before where they go throughout the process and you can, you kind of have a plan in place regardless of who, you know, the head coach will be. But again, it is helpful to have a head coach, you know, in place when you're going to evaluate potential players that you might draft. And so, yeah, I don't know if I initially expected it to take this long, but again, it seems like because of the circumstances we expressed with D'Amico Ryans and the other candidates you're bringing in. And then even like the weird weather thing where like, it was like, can guys come in and interview this week because there's like a snowstorm, you know, there's just so many factors that seem to be working against getting a coach in Indy. And so um, we'll see what takes loose. But I do think that again, the biggest thing is like after this hiring, can we say that Chris Ballard is still able to do his job? And if not, the Colts will have bigger problems than just a head coach hiring and, and things of that nature. Then you have to. And that's what Ursay has always said. He's always said that this is what I hired the GM to do. And it's not a surprise to me that Ursay isn't sitting in on the first round of these interviews. They had 13 interviews with 13 different candidates to start with. And Ursay, I didn't expect him to be involved in those. And usually the process works like this. The GM runs the search. He picks the candidates. He sits down with them. They record the interviews. Ursay wa watches them later. But the owner doesn't really get involved until the very end. He sits in on some second round interviews, but really just waits for the GM to present his findings. Essentially, here's my ranking. Here's my list. This is the guy I want. What can we do to make that happen? And then Ursay will get involved. And, and obviously, Carly is involved in this process as well. She's She's been involved in a lot of stuff the last couple of years, an increasingly important role. But it, like I said, you, you, you can't hire a coach that the GM doesn't pick without welcoming some inherent flaws in how this system is run. And, you know, fans of this team that go back a little ways, you guys remember how bad it is, how bad it can be when you have a GM and a head coach on different pages. Like, that was the entire Andrew Luck era until Frank Wright got here, was the GM, Ryan Grigson, and Chuck Pagano not seeing eye-to-eye -eye on draft picks, on personnel, on who to hire at coach and at coaching staff it really, in a lot of ways, sabotaged the start of Luck's career. And we don't need to go down that road. But, James, it got so bad to the point where Pagano and Grigson were told to go to therapy together, to go to go to counseling together. That's how bad it was. So that's an extreme example. But, like, you got to have your coach and GM aligned on the same page. And I think you should allow your GM to hire the coach, to hire the coach he wants, whether that GM is going to be here for five years or ten years or one year, at least give him a shot. you you got to set up your team to have its best chance to succeed. And if you're not giving the GM the coach he picks, you're already playing behind the eight ball, and that's just bad football. And when I think about it in the back of my mind, Jim Irsay has to know that. He has to know that. 
And I just can't see him forcing Jeff Saturday down Chris Ballard's throat. But again, I thought I knew a lot about how this team operated, and then this season happened. So I'm going to step back. But I just, I mean, they're going to have 20 interviews. Like they're going to, they've had 16 so far, including some second round guys. They're going to bring in a couple more next week. Like after 20 interviews, after hearing from some of the best minds in the game, some of the most successful coordinators on both sides of the ball, you're going to hire Jeff Saturday? I just, I just, I can't get there right now. But part of me is like, that would just be the most fitting ending to this disastrous season. The backlash would be incredible. And what do you think it would be it, like? It would, it would be very warranted. I think that the laughing, Around the the laughing stock be, that they were the night that Jeff Saturday was hired, it would be increased tenfold. And then there would be some serious like, okay, this probably should be investigated. There's some things going on here that aren't up to what the league, I would assume their standards are. It just proves that they wanted to hire him exactly, the whole time, despite results that speak. To yeah, the and I don't know, like, what marriage you could really, like, give to say this is wrong or this can't happen, because at the end of the day, the owner is allowed to hire who they want to hire. Bottom line, it's their team, so we'll see how that goes. But I know to your point about you know putting a franchise in position to succeed, you know, with the head coach that has you know the tools to succeed. You had a piece about the offensive coaches and their trends as of late and how successful they've been. So if you want to elaborate on that and what that could mean if the Colts choose to go that route. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One thing Chris Ballard said a lot over the last couple of years that I actually really, really agree with is it's not just who you draft. It's what, it's what you do with that draft pick. Right, So there's been so many first-round quarterback busts over the last years, and I've done a lot of research on this. And Like, why? Why do these guys that are so talented, that are, that are just teams are moving up to pick them, why do they bust out of the league in two or three years? Like, how does that happen when you're a second or third overall pick? And a lot of it is the setting in which they walk into, right? It's not just drafting a guy. you got to develop a guy, and that means you got to have the right coaches and the right infrastructure around them, and this is really important. So obviously, a lot of teams have, have, have sided with the offensive side of the ball. And it's not just Sean McVay, but, you know, I'm not breaking news here, but, but offense wins in this league. Nine of the top scoring offenses, nine of the top ten scoring offenses the last two years have all made the playoffs. And the two teams that didn't make the playoffs were one game out. You guys know this. You guys watched the Colts this year. They were abysmal in offense, probably one of the worst offenses we've seen in a long time in this city. And, and they had no shot in any game. Like, we would... We would kind of joke in the press box, but like when a team went up seven or ten to zero on the Colts, we were like, "There's no way they can come back." It was that bad. And all four of the conference championship coaches the last two years have been offensive coaches. And if you include the divisional round, so that's eight teams each year, that's sixteen total. Only three teams have been led by defensive coaches. One of them is Sean McDermott, both years with the Bills. And the other is Mike Vrabel, and neither of them obviously advanced to the division, to the conference championship round. So offense wins, and, and, and it doesn't mean you're going to nail it like Nathaniel Hackett busted out in Denver in a matter of weeks, it seems like. But 
Just think about this. Three teams last year hired offensive gurus, per se, to lead their team. Doug Peterson with the Jaguars. They won six more games. The Vikings, Kevin O'Connell, they won five more games. The Giants with Brian Dable, they won five more games. The Dolphins hired Mike McDaniel. Now, they didn't improve in terms of wins or losses, but they climbed 11 points in scoring, and they made the playoffs. All four of those teams made the playoffs. So it's not a, it's not a sure thing, but my thinking this whole time, and I know that Chris Ballard knows this because he knows what's coming in April. You're going to draft a quarterback. That's great. But you're also going to put that quarterback behind this offensive line. And you're going to give him these playmakers around him, lack thereof, however you want to debate that. The infrastructure you surround that player with is very important for the future of that player and the future of this franchise. And coaching is so important. I've, all, I've, often, I've often wondered what the, would have happened if Andrew Luck had an offensive head coach from the very beginning. Because at the very end of his career with, with, with Frank Reich, man, they were rolling. That was fun to watch. And they would have been a monster for years to come. We don't need to go that down that road, but when I look at these finalists, Jeff Saturday, he doesn't really have an expertise on either side of the ball. His expertise is obviously the offensive line, but the Colts offense didn't get better this year. Ejiro Evero, Raheem Morris, and Wink Martindale, the three finalists known at this point, they're all defensive coordinators. All qualified. I get it. I expect some offensive names next week. That's where I would go. That's what I would lean on. I will have no issue if they hire one of the defensive guys, if they feel like he's the best coach, and he can bring in a good candidate, but if you're going to draft a rookie passer, you want to have an offensive head coach. And this is a really good point someone made from my story. If you sign a defensive head coach and you get a really good offensive coordinator, what's going to happen? Someone's going to try and hire him as a head coach next year or the year after or the year after. That's what happened with Nick Sirianni here. I mean, and you can see what he's doing in Philly. So if I'm the Colts and if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm thinking about this quarterback with this head coaching hire. And I'm going to go hire the best offensive mind I can. Yeah. And there's some good ones out there. I mean, again, Shane Steichen has, you know, the track record with quarterbacks and particularly Jalen Hurts, second round pick, who's now I would argue is a top five quarterback in the NFL. And then you also have, you know, again, Brian Callahan, who's worked with, first of all, comes from the football family and, and has a bunch of history there. But yeah, dad was you know, work with yeah. Peyton Manning, work with Matthew Stafford, and now working with Joe Burrow. I understand that there is not a Joe Burrow in this class. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be having all these debates about who's going number one or who's going where. If there was, Colts would have to get up and move up to number one. No questions asked. And you would have teams like the Bears who would probably say no. And Ursay would do like, it. Like, you know, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to, like, take this guy for ourselves. So that's another thing that I'm very curious to see is, like, when we get past the head coaching choice is how do you hone in and pick your guy as a quarterback because there isn't that, you know, just – head and shoulders number one guy I mean if Caleb Williams was eligible this year he'd be number one but that's just not the case and again I think Bryce Young is probably the most polished guy and has I mean I'm not gonna lie Zach I'm not some quarterback guru I don't watch a bunch of film I've watched you know enough on the, the guys just know you know their traits and at least be familiar with them but Bryce Young his ability to evade you know issues keep his eyes downfield, deliver the ball. He makes every throw. Like, he doesn't have a cannon of an arm, but, like, the guy, I don't know if you can teach his escapability and some of that stuff. Like, some of that stuff, is, I do think, is an eight, but he's also six feet. And, you know, this is funny. On a, on a tangent, I did the, the, the Stephon Gilmore story this week, right? And I talked to his younger brother, uh, Stevie. And on Marshall's website, Stevie's listed at six foot. 
a couple recruiting and, and scouting uh, websites, he's listed at 6'2". And so I asked him, I was like, hey, are you six foot or six two? And he's like, oh, I'm 5'9", which I'm like, you're not supposed to tell me that. But he, he's 5'9". This happens all the time. <laughs> and so that made me instantly think about Bryce Young, who's listed at six feet for Alabama. And I'm like, when he goes to the combine or his pro day, wherever he gets measured at, He's not gonna be six feet. Like I just, I, I really doubt that. It's gonna be a big topic. Exactly. Is, is how tall? And he so that's him. that's probably his biggest knock. And you got other guys who are obviously taller, but maybe less polished. You got Anthony Richardson, who's probably the most gifted athlete out of the entire class. But then you got Will Levis and and, and C.J. Stroud. So that'll be very fun to analyze as well. But again, it kind of starts with who you get as your head man to lead that player and this team because so much is riding on how you cultivate that, that, that situation. I mean, you look at Trevor Lawrence, no one doubted his talent. No one doubted that he could be a good quarterback, but there were questions throughout that season with urban Meyer. Like, you know, is he the guy? Can he, you know, can they make this work? Is he as talented as we thought? And he's like, Oh, you give him a decent coach and I'll, I'll give Doug Peterson great. He's better than decent. He's really good. But you give him a competent coach and you see the jump he took from last year to this year where, I mean, a play here, a play there, they might be looking at, you know, a chance to advance the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm not saying that Kansas City didn't deserve it, but it wasn't like the Jaguars went to, you know, Arrowhead and were just blown out and had no chance. Like, they had a chance because that guy was back there and he was balling. And so... That's what changes everything. And, and, and yes, and to, you know, we're quoting Chris Ballard here, he said it himself, man. Like, you know when you walk onto the field, when you have one of the elite of the elite, it shifts in your favor every time. You know, I get even with the Bengals, like they had the offensive line issues, had guys out last week. But it's like if you just do enough to keep him upright, just enough, doesn't have to be fantastic, you know, elite all the time, but just give him enough. He'll make it work. I mean, the guy was out there in the snow looking like he was playing on the beach, just ripping, you know, dimes and and looking like that guy. And so that changes everything. And that's that's the biggest thing is just can you. But but again. He's been with Brian Callahan, who's worked with the likes of Peyton Manning and Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow and has helped him develop into what I believe now is a... And he's a son of a coach. I tend to lean towards those Yeah, and I, well. and I think they, it's shown. Like, he's a clear-cut superstar now, and these guys are working with superstars. And if the Colts wish to draft a guy who can be a superstar, why wouldn't you go out and at least try to get one of these guys who's shown that they've done it in the past? I texted a buddy who's a huge Bills fan last week before the game. He said, who are you picking? I said, I'm picking the Bengals by three, and I don't like the pick because of what you just mentioned, because of the tackle situation, right? Both offensive tackles, the, the Bengals' lines banged up. But like you just said, doesn't matter. Like Burrow, it doesn't matter sometimes, and, and that's telling. Like he's a guy. I don't think there's a guy like that in this class, but like you said, you need to find a coach that's going to be able to nurture that talent. And again, like you're going to be throwing this guy behind this offensive line next year. Now, is it better? Probably because you need to address some holes. Does Bernard Ryman improve? Probably. But again, that's a very real thing. And I just keep coming back to that. Like where do the Colts, where are the Colts in 2025 and 2026? So the one thing I will add is, is there's no slam dunk candidate. There's no like obvious guy that's, that's ahead of the pack. In my opinion, now Jeff Saturday is a little bit of an anomaly and he's, different qualifications and we've talked about that a lot but what I mean is like there's no slam dunk guy so I think the Colts know this and I think their approach is we're going to have to gamble obviously on this hire and then we're going to probably have to learn through this process they're going to have some growing years they're going to have some lean years I don't expect this team to compete for the division next year maybe they do it's the AFC South you never no, know top but 10 pick again with this quarterback uncertainty it's just hard to see them take that step 
And the one thing is they're going to have to bet on traits and the things they think this coach can grow into. One very interesting quote that I dug up from Jeffrey Lurie, who owns the Philadelphia Eagles. Remember when they hired Sirianni, it was a stunner. He was like the last guy they interviewed. Nick was on a flight to Bermuda for vacation, and they were like, just come. And he was like, I'm not even prepared. He ends up getting the job, and they're like, look, we hired Nick because of the coach we think he can grow into. And he's grown really fast, and he has changed the way they play. And it helps when you have a really, really good GM and Howie Roseman. He's just got talent all over that roster. But my point is, there's not a guy like a Doug Peterson out there that's just going to come in and change the culture and win right away. I don't think this roster is ready to do that. I don't think any of these coaching candidates are ready to do that per se. Would love to be wrong, but I think this is going to be a process. And so the Colts need to stop thinking about 2023 and 2024. Where is this team going? It needs a direction desperately. It needs a new voice, in my opinion. What does this team look like? What does the future look like? Everything obviously centers on what you do at that quarterback position, but are you going to get this turned around? Are you going to get it going in the right direction, knowing that some hard days are going to come? They need to stop thinking short-term, and yes, I mean that at quarterback. They need to stop thinking quick fix, QB carousel, rent a QB, whatever you want to call it. They need to think long-term and know that some hard days are going to come. Who's the right guy to handle that? To, to to sort of soldier them through that, I mean it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough sledding with the next couple of years. There's Absolutely. still talent on this roster. I agree with Chris Bowd on that, but the way it's been constructed is deeply flawed, and it's gonna be hard to get out of that in one off season. On offense, you have pieces there that you have to evaluate as far as extensions when it comes to Michael Pittman Jr. Jonathan Taylor, they're young guys. They've proven that they can you know be you know big time players, especially Jonathan Taylor in this league. But on the defensive side your best players are aging. And so they're not fitting that timeline of a long rebuild, quite frankly. I get it. Grover Stewart was great. Buck was great. You know, Gilly was great. But these guys are late 20s, early 30s. And so you have to think about, and I think with some of the flaws we saw on this team, it's so much more than the quarterback that you have to accept that it's not going to just be, we get a guy and, you know, we go 11-5 and five with an Andrew Luck. That's just not going to happen. Ain't happening. And – it's not because, you know, I don't have faith in like whoever they're going to pick a quarterback, although none of them are going to be Andrew Luck. I think that this season, for better or for worse, really, it revealed all of the flaws. Like there was no masking it. There was no, if we won this game, we would have been in like last season. It was the, the, the bottom fell out and you saw, okay, there's a lot of things wrong, more things wrong than right with this team. And that's what happens when you win just four games and you lose, you know, games in ridiculous fashions. And so I think that's another takeaway that I have for their mindset going into this offseason is realizing, okay, this is not we're going to get two, three guys, you know, tweak this thing and be right back in it. No, it's yeah, going to be a no process. Shortcuts. Absolutely. And I think that it might be a thing where you look at some lean years and then you look up, you know, and hopefully you can say like like the Bengals, for example, hey, we had some lean years here. But we got our guy, you know, we have another guy and, you know, Jamar Chase, who's a, who's a baller. You know, we have our, 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 our coach and our offensive coordinator and we have things in place now to win and win at a high rate and win for a long time the way that they're built. And so that's the interesting thing for me is like baby steps, so to speak. Like you want, obviously you never want to like lose or get comfortable with that. But I think you have to be, be, be realistic about where your team is and understand that it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen quick because I mean... 
all of this that we saw, Zach, like, you know, it's not just going to happen that quickly. Like if it, that was the case, every team would do it. But it, I think this is very important for how you build it for the future. Even the, the Jaguars, like they could have tried to rush through this thing. And I think that there's still some pieces there that they're trying to work with to kind of, you know, sustain what they've done rather than, you know, try to mail it all in and get whoever. And then, I mean, you tried that in the past, right? You tried to kick the tires on these quarterbacks and bring them in. And, but, you know, Ballard said it himself, like quarterback wasn't the only reason this team struggled this season. It was a lot of things that they all have to address. And I would expect, you know, some changes there on the offensive line as well. That's another one. And I'm interested to see what happens because you can't pay these guys as much as they've been, been getting paid and get that level of production. Something has to change. Yeah, the offensive line hire is actually really important around here. We'll get to that after they hire a coach, but think about how much value they're getting in these interviews, right? It's not just the Colts interviewing these candidates. It's the candidates telling the Colts what they think of this team and why they regress so substantially this year. And these guys have been asking really good questions in these interviews. Like, how did this happen so fast? How did you guys go from nine and six last year after that win in Arizona to where you are now picking fourth overall in the draft. And I think that evaluation is going to be very, very important because the Colts thought they were doing this the right way. They thought they were close. That's why they make these short-term plays at quarterback. And that's why they never really embrace a rebuild because they thought they were doing it the right way. And they thought they were close. Their roster building approach has been exposed, deeply exposed the last 14 months and and the obvious reality is they need to address everything they need to address everything and I think Chris Ballard said that after the season everything will be evaluated and we've said this before on here I expect some veteran players to be moved whether it's a release or a trade I expect some contracts to look different and this Colts team is going to look different in 2023 and it should be and the results might not come right away because that's the reality of how this league works but to just think they can just keep doing what they're doing and throwing a rookie quarterback is just is just terrible approach right now, in my opinion, because there were so many things, like you mentioned, that were wrong just beyond the quarterback this year. And that's a really serious thing. So we'll see what happens. Andrew Luck is an anomaly. Like he was going to make it work with pretty much any coach he had because that's how good he is or he was. That's not the case with a lot of these quarterbacks, man. Like, you look at some of these guys, they're not going to come in and be Joe Burrow. They're not going to come in and be Patrick Mahomes. They're going to come in and be, you know, Tom Brady. The latter two actually sat it, you know, a year before they played. And so that's what I want to drive home is, like, it's just not going to be that, you know. Quarterbacking, that position, it, it really matters who's, like, kind of building that cocoon or that or that structure or that infrastructure around you to help you succeed. So we'll see wh- where the Colts go. Again, I would expect them to obviously have some offensive candidates in there. You know, it's one-sided. Now, just because of the, how the playoffs have kind of gone, obviously the candidates we've talked about are still playing and competing. But this is interesting. And every time that I feel like I I know what's going on, I, I have to remind myself that I, I don't. This is all new. I don't think anybody's ever been through this type of coaching search these candidates, you know, even the D'Amico Ryan thing is weird. Like there's a lot of layers to it, but obviously 
we'll be here to cover it all because that's the job. And uh, we don't get to go to the Bahamas or Jamaica just yet. <laughs> hey, you're going to Mobile. Oh, Mobile yes. That was definitely on like my bucket list of places I wanted to go. But jokes aside, I'm excited. I mean, first time going there. So it'll be it'll be cool to check it out. Yeah, you'll get some good stories and, and you get to watch the quarterbacks. Exactly. Um, the good news is I did talk to a team source this week. And the really good news is he told me directly, this will end at some point. The Colts will hire a coach at some point. So I know a lot of you guys are out there worried. For a little bit of perspective, look, last year the first NFL coach hire was made today, January 27th. So it's not like we're way behind schedule. There was one made yesterday, Frank Reich in Carolina. This is how it shakes out. A lot of times it's delayed because these guys are still coaching in the playoffs. That's the case a little bit this time. I expect these things to start rolling out next week. And the following week, but we'll see. The Colts, indeed, they will hire a coach at some point, whether it's Jeff Saturday or Easy Row Evero or somebody else. They will hire a coach, um, and they'll start, and and they'll start with this rebuild, and they'll start with the next phase of this franchise. But uh, I'm anxious to see what Jim Mercy has to say at the end of this search. I'm anxious to hear what Chris Ballard has to say about this search because they've sat down with half the league for goodness sakes, and um, that is true. They've learned wow. a lot about their franchise, <laughs> and they learned a lot about what's working with these guys and their places because there's a reason they're chasing them for these interviews. So let's go. It's almost February. We're three weeks going. Um, maybe we'll get a resolution one of these days, but um, we'll see what happens because this is going to be fascinating. And if they hire who you know I'm talking about, it's going to be really fascinating to see how this city responds. I feel like it's like 95-5 against the hire. Let me just throw this out there but, um, because I had to kind of escape the coaching quarterback bubble myself. I wrote a story about Gilly, his younger brother, Gilly Jr., which I'm joking, it's not, it's not his name. Uh, his younger brother, Stevie, their relationship, how that's motivated Stefan. We talked about it during the season briefly towards the end. And I got his parents on the phone and his mom is great. His dad is great. And just one quick tidbit from that story that really isn't the focus of it, but that I thought was fascinating. Like the high school that Stefan and Stevie went to um, South Point High School in Rock Hill, South Carolina, is like a powerhouse high school now. Jadavion Clowney went there as well. Actually, they him and uh, Stefan played together in high school. But the crazy thing is that when the program started, it wasn't a varsity program. Stefan was a part of like the building of the team. Like his first year of high school football wasn't varsity because there was no varsity program at South Point. So he helped build it into a powerhouse. They won a state championship by the time he left. And he was a quarterback, quarterback and cornerback, you know, <laughs> Stefan Gilmore. They won a state championship, went undefeated. And his little brother comes along and they went four state titles. You know, his younger brother's nine years younger. But like it's a powerhouse now. And Stefan was kind of the genesis of that and talking to his parents about it and his mom. It was, uh, it was a fun story. It told me a bunch of crazy stuff. And even like little stuff like like Zach, I didn't put this in the story, but it's a, it's a cool tidbit. His mom, she says that when she got pregnant with Stefan, you know, first that was her first kid. He's, he's the oldest. She said her husband got so excited. She went, he went to the mall and bought like matching Jordan, like sweatsuits for him and his son. Cause like she, I guess he wanted to match. She said, we didn't have a lot of money back then. We were so excited, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, she said, I put the same suit on uh, on Stevie, you know, years later. And, you know, you fast forward a couple decades and Stefan's now a Jordan athlete. And so she yeah, was like, yeah. And she's like so like cool about all of it and, and kind of putting in perspective just how great, grateful she is. And she was saying, you know, along with the family, like that if Stevie can get on the football field and be actually playing with his brother, whether it's a teammate or an opponent, 
in the NFL, that would probably be the crowning moment for all of them. So we'll see Stevie's late round uh, pick projection, but he had nine interceptions at, at Marshall, had a huge win against Notre Dame. They probably got some some eyes on him. But that was a fun story. So if you want to kind of escape like I did, read that. I think it'll make you feel good just because it's not, you know, it kind of reminds you that there, you know, there's other things going on with the team or at least other players on the team besides the future quarterback. <laughs> That was a refreshing story. I enjoyed it. Steph was such an interesting player this year. I really enjoyed getting to know him and, and talking to him about football. And, and, and as the season, you know, just fell apart late in the year, he would just give me these looks in the locker room that was like, what just happened? Like he, he was in New England for so many years where they, all they did was win 12 or 13 games a year and, and either win the Super Bowl or lose the Super Bowl. So he had never experienced anything like this. And he is under contract for next year. We'll see if he's back. He didn't really give me a firm commitment, but... He's under contract, so the assumption would be he gets another year with the Colts. But all right, that's it for today. Uh, another eventful week <laughs> in the interview world for the Colts coaching search. Maybe, James, maybe the next time we talk on this podcast, maybe the Colts will have their new head coach. I don't want to guarantee anything. I know they're in the second round of interviews, but things happen quickly. After moving very slowly for very long, they will happen quickly in this world. We'll see what happens. But Six or seven finalists. I, you know, I originally heard it would be three to six. I, it's at four right now. I expect a couple names to trickle out on Monday. They'll go through the second round of interviews. These are the important ones. These are the ones in person. And then we'll go from there. But they might have a coach the next time we talk, which would be just awesome for us because we could move on with the rest of our life and see where this team is going. Zach's interview is scheduled for uh, Tuesday, 9 a.m., so he'll, he'll be there in person. <laughs> what should I pitch? Should I pitch like, uh, you know, I'm just going to throw it every down and fix the offensive line? Uh, I don't know, man. You just you just tell them what you're doing Madden, and it works. If it works in the video game, it works in real life, obviously. So that, that should be your pitch. I've seen enough bad football over the last couple of years. Maybe I can – Know what not that, to do, so. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. We'll have fun in Mobile. Uh, we'll be following what you come up with. There are lots of people down there. It's like sort of the NFL summit before the Super Bowl. A lot of scouts down there. Um, and you'll get an up-close view of some of the quarterbacks that are coming out. So I'm anxious to see what you come up with. I'll be holding the fort down here, waiting for the Colts to make a move. But again, thank you guys for following. Thank you for reading. Thank you for your input on Twitter, on here, however it comes. We know you guys are anxious for a head coaching <laughs> hire. We are as well. It will happen probably in the month of February, and then the Colts, we'll see where they go from there. But for James Boyd, I'm Zach Kiefer. Thanks for listening to 1% Better. We'll catch up with you guys next week.